Greetings. It has been so long, and I want to apologize. The last podcast was months ago. But it's been a crazy summer. We're going to recap it for you here. It's been three months. It's been way too long. But we saw a lot of shows. We did some traveling. We were in and out of town, which is one of the big reasons why there was no podcast. Chris and I had a hard time meeting up. We have busy lives. Chris will return at some point to co-host. But for now, my backlog of stuff was just way too big to hold back any longer. It must be discussed. Yeah, we just want to get you ready for the fall with some new releases and some shows that are coming up while we tell you what we did this summer. Welcome to the High for This podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor. That's Jell Moore from the latest record from Bonnie Vare, I, I. This record's been sneaking up on me the first couple times I've heard it. I think maybe like every Bonnie Vare record, I have to get into it and kind of understand where he's coming from. And then after the 16th listen, I have my favorite tracks and I know what I like. Bonnie Vare is going to be at Barclays Center on October 11th, which should be cool. They have a very advanced sound and light system they're using for this tour. This is the first time Bonnie Vera is doing arenas. Like I've mentioned many times in the past, playing Barclays, well, cool sounding, can have mixed results for bands that are labeled indie. Indie just means the label they're on. The music's actually somewhat mainstream if you think about how popular they are to be playing Barclays Center, which means they're going to sell 15,000, 18,000 tickets somewhere in that range if it sells out. I have been on the Ticketmaster website to plot what I'll have to do to get tickets to that show. Seems like the verified resale, which is where somebody bought good seats and then sells them again, that could also be code for scalper tickets. Those look like the best option right now. I am not 100% sure if it's actually GA on the floor. If it is, that's always the best. But I found some seats that are about 10 or 11 rows back for a price that might make some faint, but maybe some others won't. I might go and get those tickets. I might wait till closer to the show, see what gets released, especially day of. We will see. But that new Bonnie Vare record is great. It's gotten good marks all around. And I know that because they're doing these stadium shows, they know they're going up a level and they're trying to bring it. So I think the production, and I've seen on some of my friends' Instagram stories, the production looks pretty advanced and cool. And there's a cool documentary. It's about 10 minutes long. I think it's called Autumn. It's a Bonnie Vare Autumn on YouTube where they talk about the production for this tour and it's pretty exciting. So I suggest you check that out. Yeah. This record, I comma, I I'm very into 
on my unofficial best of the year so far, it's right up there. I think definitely top five. Anyways, cool record. This is Sunlight from Run Fast, Sleep Naked by Nick Murphy. Nick Murphy is the artist formerly known as Chet Faker. Also the artist whose bass player is Tim Lappin, who's the bass player for the band Chris and I are in, called Goodbye Picasso. Tim has been playing with Nick Murphy slash Chet Faker, I think three or four years now quite a while they've been all over the world the kind of thing where hey tim what have you been up to and he says three nights at sydney opera house we just played red rocks in july they played brooklyn steel the show was sold out i actually couldn't even find tickets on StubHub, so i hit up tim and i said tim can't find tickets how do I buy tickets? And Tim, being the mensch he is, put me on the guest list in VIP. So Chris Dreyer and I went to Brooklyn Steel. I saw the second night of Nick Murphy. They sold out two nights. That was some ass-kicking performing. I've seen Chet Faker before. This was pre-Tim. I think this was five years ago at Webster Hall. For the previous record, which was Built on Glass, which came out in 2014, was easily one of my records of that year. Talk is Cheap was a single from that. 1998, Gold. Gold had a cool music video. So I was a fan before Tim was even involved. So glad to, I was glad to see the show. And I was curious what the new stuff was going to sound like. I actually hadn't heard the record before the show. I put it on, but I listened to a couple songs on the way there in the car. And that first half of that show was some of the best stuff I've seen maybe in the past year or two. was very glad to be there. The live arrangements of the new tunes are amazing. And hats off to Tim and Kirk, buddy of Tim, buddy of the band, and Grant who plays keys and guitar in the group. Also buddy of Tim, buddy of the band. Really cool to see them play live. Loved the show. Got to go backstage afterwards at Brooklyn Steel and see the dressing rooms and all that. They had a fridge that had beers and stuff in it. I had a Perrier. We were hoping there was maybe a Cahamas situation or like a vegetable tray. We did not see one. Tim was pretty popular that night. He had a lot of his bros. His lady was there. We hung out with her on the balcony in the VIP area. Cool night all around. We dipped out a little earlier than everybody else because it was um, we were kind of irrelevant, which was totally fine. Glad to have seen that show. This record is pretty good. Check it out if you're into Nick Murphy. I was... Surprised how packed Brooklyn Steel was and how um, the fervor for Nick Murphy. I mean, I like Chet Faker. 
I hadn't seen him or listened to anything since the name change. He wanted to go by his real name and not Chet Faker anymore. Chet Faker was more of maybe a DJ situation type name. And I think he's had some trouble being recognized as Nick Murphy because a lot of the press now has to include FKA Chet Faker or on Spotify it's just Nick Murphy slash Chet Faker so people aren't confused. So anyway, it's a pretty cool little record. I miss Long Beach and I miss you, babe. I miss dancing with you the most of all. I miss the bar where the beach boys would go. Dennis's last stop before Kokomo. Those nights were on fire, we couldn't get higher. We didn't know that we had it all. But nobody wants you before the fall. And I That's the greatest from the new Lana Del Rey record, Norman fucking Rockwell. This record I really enjoy. A lot of times albums get buzz and I put them on and I don't get it right away. And it takes me some time or I eventually just say, oh, this is not for me. This record, like two or three listens in, I was like, oh, this is great. This is really cool. I love the songwriting on this. I love the arrangements. She uh, did this album with Jack Antonoff. Jack Antonoff is kind of the it producer right now. He's sort of filling the role Dan Auerbach did about five years ago. Dan Auerbach, actually, he's from the Black Keys. He was an it producer for a while. He did a record with Lana Del Rey five years ago. That record, though, was a little, little bigger in scope. Ultraviolence, it was pretty remarkable because she recorded a lot of it live, like with an orchestra for part of it, and like with these guys kind of playing right, right behind her. It was really cool. I think that record is actually one of my favorite records by her. That was definitely one of my top records of 2014. But this record she did with Jack Antonoff, and a lot of the tracks, it's just her and Jack. And if you look at the credits on Spotify for each track, some of it, Jack's playing every instrument. And I really love how sparse a lot of these tracks are where it's just her and Jack playing guitar. And it really makes you focus on her voice. And her voice is actually really, her vocal performances on this record are really nice. And this is probably my favorite song on the record. It's really been haunting me, I think, this last week. It follows a track called The Next Great American Record, which is also, I think, an amazing track. Really cool record, Norman fucking Rockwell. She's doing a show, I guess it's next, or this week, Friday, at Jones Beach. I don't know how long that was planned, because I didn't see it on the schedule. But 
that's the date she's doing in the city, kind of at the end of the Jones Beach season. I've never been to Jones Beach for a show, so I actually may check that out. We'll see what our weekend plans turn into. But definitely check this record out. It's it's a really cool record just to have on atmospherically as well. But when you dig into it, there's some really, really strong tracks on it, so I really, really like it. That's Gimme by Banks. Banks has a new record called Three, like the Roman numeral. Banks, I really enjoyed her first record, 2013. That record was called Goddess. I caught some really cool performances online that year from Banks. The song Change, I really, really like. And there was a performance I saw of her and like two acoustic guitars. It was very cool. That record, she had some producers like Totally Enormous, Extinct Dinosaurs and stuff. I thought it was uh, just an interesting record. So three is out. I am making my way through it. I've heard it a couple times now, but I really enjoy Gimme. And I like the vibe of the record. She recently did Three Nights at Brooklyn Steel, which is notable. A lot of big artists, you know, might do two, and she had to add a third. Pretty cool. Cool performer from L.A. I wish I could have been at that show, but we were in Italy during that. So next time, hopefully she does like a winter run. We will see. That is Hope from the new record by Sandy Alex G. Sandy Alex G's last record, Rocket, was one of my top records of 2017. I found out about him probably the same way a lot of people did. He played guitar on Blonde by Frank Ocean. That album has sparse instrumentation, but there's a few places to have guitar, like White Ferrari and Sandy Alex G contributed to that. 2017, I think it was at Governor's Ball in New York when Frank Ocean performed, which was an odd performance. I didn't go, but I saw a lot of it. I pieced it together with videos online. Sandy Alex G, or, or just Alex G, the Sandy is there because of... Uh, there's another artist called Alex G. I can't remember her exact genre, but it's something lame. And uh, it was sort of like a, a trademark type thing where he had to distinguish himself. So he had the Sandy in front because he had a song called Sandy. Anyways, this is the new Alex G record, which is getting good marks. He has a show coming up. 
he will be at Brooklyn Steel in November, one night so far. I think the last time he was playing, he was playing Warsaw. That's a step up. Warsaw, I think Max is at at a thousand. Brooklyn Steel is eighteen hundred. We'll try to catch that. I'm actually curious live what they're like, his band, because there's been tunes of his I've loved, and then I've searched for videos of them playing, and some are a little rough. It's a little slacker-y. But he's amazing. He's amazing as a songwriter and as a performer on record. Reminds me of Elliot Smith a lot. And just super talented. Vice has actually been on... He's been on Vice's radar for a while because Vice has videos of him from like five years ago, six years ago, pre-Frank Ocean, all that. You can check that stuff out online too. Anyways, Sandy Alex G and his new record, which is called House of Sugar. Check that out. And this is Gone from Charlie XCX's latest record, Charlie. Charlie XCX is sort of this crack songwriter who you do probably know a lot of her music because she does a lot of writing for other people, but she also puts out records. This record has a lot of collaborations on it. The track Gone is a collaboration with her and Christine and the Queens. There's a track, Warm, which is her and Hyam. She has Cross You Out with Sky Ferreira. One of the lead-up singles to this was 1999 with Troy Savon. Blame It On Your Love is probably the most streamed track of this record, and that's her and Lizzo. Lizzo is kind of red hot right now. I'm making my way through this record. I like her. I like the vibe of this. It's a fun record. It's different than some of the other things I've just been talking about. She is coming into town pretty soon. Let me check what these dates are. She is playing in October, two nights at Terminal 5. So Terminal 5 is a venue a lot of people do not have warm feelings for, me included. A lot of these British artists, I think, just don't realize Terminal 5 has gone out of favor. Like, James Blake was there in whenever I saw that, which was January or something. She's doing two nights. I guess you got to play there because it's a 3,000 cap. I don't know where else would be appropriate for Charlie XCX right now. Otherwise, you got to do, like, multiple nights at Webster Hall, which would be fine with me. Anyway, those two Terminal 5 shows are coming up. Will I be there? I I don't know. I don't know. I've only had to go to Terminal 5 once this year, and that was for James Blake. It was so packed. It was so 
uncomfortable to stand in the back. Even though I'm, like I've said before, I'm pretty tall. I felt like I had to like stand on my tippy toes to see anything. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it out to her show, but I might. I might. But Charlie XCX's record, Charlie, is pretty great. So far. So now it's time to talk about the shows I saw since last time. I mean, the last time we talked, Chris and I literally recorded the podcast right after seeing Jason Isbell and Father John Misty at Prospect Park. The next night, we went to Prospect Park. This is June 20th and saw Tank and the Bengas. Prospect Park is a magical place. To see shows in the summer. Anybody that saw my Instagrams from the shows will realize it's a very cool place to go see shows. The other cool thing is a lot of these shows are free. So Tank and the Bangas was a free show. Tank and the Bangas are from New Orleans. I don't want to call them like soul. It's more of like a, almost like prog rock, a little more psychedelic in that respect. But it does have sort of a swagger to it from New Orleans. Sort of a uh, R&B vibe as well. But it's very theatrical. She was dressed up in kind of like this Missy Elliott type, Oompa Loompa type outfit. It was a cool show. was glad to be there. The night after that, I went and saw Calexico and Iron and Wine. And this was a Friday night... It was a free show in the park in the summer. Idyllic experience. The problem is that all of Brooklyn, all of Park Slope went to this show. And so I got there early. I mean, I don't think, I think the opener was playing. The grass was packed, which was fine because I don't sit in the grass at these shows. A lot of people go and have like their little Whole Foods picnic. I don't do that. I like to actually... Be in a seat or be standing where I can actually see the show as it's going on rather than just socializing, which is also fine to do. But for me, I I enjoy the shows. Every seat was taken. There's also this area up front, like the first 10 or 20 rows is reserved for people who've paid for a season pass or done sort of a VIP situation. So what's weird about that, and this was also true for Tank of the Bangas, is that it's not the most engaged audience members that are sitting that close. And so it can be a little weird to where the crowd behind them is all into it. And the people up front are just a little more low energy, a little more lame. I think it only costs like 200 bucks for the season pass to get up in those front seats. So next year I will probably do that. But at this Colexco and Iron Wine show, what was strange was that there's a million people there. There's kids everywhere. Families. Very, very much the Brooklyn Park Slope vibe. And the show was fine. But Colexco and Iron Wine are not like some huge energetic act. And on top of that, there wasn't a lot of back and forth with the performers on stage and the audience there were times Sam Beam would try to I think engage with the audience and it was just such a mob of people that were half interested that it didn't totally work in my mind 
I don't think the band cared. I think they were just having a good time and they enjoyed like you know the huge crowd of people. But it was strange. It was strange being there, and it was packed the entire time. And it was was a strange show for it to be packed at. I, I just it was just a very weird kind of vibe. Anyways, that's the last show. Oh, it wasn't the last show. Sorry, there was a week after that. We'll get to that. A uh, couple days later, after that, so that was a Friday night. The Sunday, Allie and I, at the last possible second, decided to go see Dead and Company at City Field. City Field is where the Mets play. I don't know how the cap works out for concerts, but I think it's about forty thousand. It was a huge crowd of people. I bought tickets on StubHub, literally on my phone, waiting in traffic to go. And when we were going to the show, so we got in um, the line to get into the parking lot. Even when the show had just started, was a million miles long. But luckily, that the show started with a very long St. Stephen. So we got in while they were still playing St. Stephen, which is cool. Our seats were terrible, but what's cool is that at City Field, the concessions areas sort of like wrap the entire length, you know, the entire area around the circle around the stadium at every level. And so a lot of people are on the move during the show anyways. You can kind of stand wherever. And then we had friends that were down on the third baseline. And our friend Ari managed to like talk us into her. She talked to the security guy and got us into her section. She's like, oh, they're just coming for a minute. They just want to sit and, you know, hang out. And if people come, they'll leave. And we stayed there the rest of the show. So we actually had a good little vantage point for the show. The GA is in the outfield, and the infield is there's nobody in the in the infield. It's kind of protected. There were big screens, but the vibe overall was so good. It almost doesn't matter unless you're up close in the GA. It almost doesn't matter where you sit. However, it's nice to be in a section where everybody's standing up, kind of dancing around. In our section, people were so dispersed. It was like it was as if we didn't have anybody sitting next to us for a while. So we had a lot of space just to kind of hang out, which I enjoyed. This is the show where John Mayer played Jerry's Wolf guitar. I guess in many instances in the past, Mayer, they've offered to Mayer, hey, do you want to play one of Jerry's guitars? He didn't feel like it was the time for a long time. And then there's currently a an exhibition at the Met, or at least there was this summer, sort of a rock and roll exhibition where there were a ton of instruments on display. One of those was Jerry's Wolf guitar that he's played, you know, that he did play back in the day. And I guess Jay Blakesburg, who's one of like the photographers who runs around with the dead, arranged to get it for Mayer if he wanted it. So Mayer got it and played it. And the whole crowd was like very into this and the band was very into it. It was actually kind of like a spiritual thing to have Jerry there in some form with all of us. The show was great. It ended on Morning Dew, which I got some video of, and it was kind of like this transcendent moment. We had a great time. I love seeing Dead and Company. I love Mayer, obviously. 
one of my favorite guitar players, definitely a guitar hero to me. And so they're coming back. They are playing what they call this fall fun run. They're doing two nights at Madison Square Garden, and then they just added two nights at Nassau Coliseum, and they're doing two nights at Hampton, Virginia. The Madison Square Garden shows, one is on Halloween and one's on November 1st. So we will be at one or both of those, depending on how the tickets work out and what our plans are. But that was a really cool show to be at. So then, I guess the Saturday night of that week, went back to Prospect Park. That's then This is the last time I was there for the summer. And the show was Liz Fair, and the openers were Ted Lewin, the pharmacist, and Caroline Rose. We just went, this was Chris and I, we just went to see Caroline Rose. Caroline Rose's album Loner last year, which I didn't actually know about until this year. Unreal. Love it, love it, love it, love it. One of my favorite newish performers. She's from Long Island. That record is one of my favorites past couple years. Easy. But we just saw Caroline Rose because afterwards we drove over to Brooklyn Bowl to see the last night of the Drive by Truckers run. Drive by Truckers did six nights at Brooklyn Bowl, which was aggressive. They have fans, and look, I've seen Drive by Truckers with Seth Pompan maybe a dozen times in the past 10, 12 years. And six nights is, is a lot. And I guess they did pretty decent numbers at Brooklyn Bowl. I don't think Brooklyn Bowl really cared if it were sellouts every night. They've been doing a lot of these residencies. Um, Hold Steady's on their second or third year of doing four nights in December. And they always do Bowl Live, which is like two weeks of Soul Live plus guests. So Drive-By Truckers have that arrangement going on now. And they did six nights. And this was the sixth night. The only thing that was a little strange about it was that the opener was Adam's Housecat which was a band that Patterson Hood and Cooley had, I guess, in like the late 80s, early 90s. They've been playing together for a long time. So they did a whole Adam's Housecat set, which is about an hour. And I think I was at Brooklyn, or what do you call it, Blue Ribbon, eating during that. But they did that, and then they, because they were doing six nights, they wanted to make sure they didn't do a lot of repeats. So we stayed, I think, for seven or eight songs, but it was just like this hour of rarities of Adam's House Cat and then seven rarities of Drive By Truckers. And I was a little spent. I, I think we felt like we'd done a lot and had a reason, like we were tired or somebody needed to get up or something, and I didn't mind leaving. I've been to a bunch of ass-kicking Drive By Trucker shows, and I've been plenty of times where it's worth staying for two or three hours. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe if I was in a different mood. I think I was, I think I didn't feel good or something. I can't remember what it was. But I'm still supportive of the, of the band. I think next, next time, if they do six nights, maybe I'll go in that night or two and check it out. But anyways, that's what we did. Caroline Rose at Prospect Park and then Drive by Truckers. Then I had a couple weeks of not doing much. I think this was like 4th of July... Maybe this is, we went to the beach, did some things, but an important show, which was July 12th, I think this was a Friday, I had tickets 
to a show at Brooklyn Mirage. And I don't know how much I mentioned this in the past, but this is this venue in Bushwick. I was so curious about, I had to go check out. And Brooklyn Mirage is part of a bigger complex called Avant Gardener. When you look it up on the internet, it talks about its four spaces. Brooklyn Mirage is the biggest. It's an outdoor space that has a cap, uh, I think, four or 5,000. And it's a seasonal thing. I think they're wrapping up the season right now, and it ends at the end of September. It is mostly EDM, techno, DJ type stuff, which is fine. However, when they're not doing shows, and if you've never been and you don't know what the space is, when you drive by it, it's hard to even tell that it is this concert venue. Maybe hence Brooklyn Mirage. Anyways, the headliners this night was Gorgon City. Before Gorgon City was Lee Foss, and before that was Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs. And then for the two hours before that was Kyle Kinch opening up. And they had him listed as two different acts, but he played for like two hours. I know that because I was one of the first hundred people there because I'm an old man and an anthropologist who was just trying to figure out what the hell the kids were up to in Bushwick. So when an event's actually happening there, it's very obvious what the space is. It's almost like you're at an award show or something. There's police, there's barricades, there's a big, huge hangar type thing you go in to check in and you know do your ID and all that kind of stuff. They have you, if you want to, do this wristband thing where you load a wristband with money, and then when you go to the bars and stuff, you can just kind of swipe your wristband like a contactless type situation. However, with Apple Pay and all that, I don't even know why they bother with the wristbands. But the space is really cool. When you walk in to the right, there's kind of like this outdoor little food court booths where you have one area is like a bar, one area is like a boozy milkshake situation, and then there's like a Neapolitan pizza place, and then there's some picnic tables. I started there because I got there real early, and then I kind of checked the space out. And the space for the shows, uh, Brooklyn Mirage, is actually really well put together. There's tons of bars. There are places to sit. You know, there's obviously the big space in the center for the people that want to dance and all that. There's a bunch of multimedia happening. So there's lights and there's stuff on the walls and it's like a 360 experience. You can also go up to there's, you know, steps that go up to where you're kind of looking down on the whole situation and all this is outside, but there's always, there's security, there's bars. It's just like a, it's a very well set up thing. It's like, even when it was packed at the end, it's very easy to get around and move through the place. And the only challenging bit was that because it's like this techno thing, the headliner Gurgaon City went on at 2.30 in the morning. So keep in mind, I got there at 10 o'clock at night. And so I ended up watching a lot <laughs> of this techno stuff. And it was actually maybe one of the first full gigs I've been to where it was, you know, they had DJ next to everybody's name. And what that means is that it's four to the floor the entire time. And that means there's a consistent beat that lasts the entire show. It's almost the same tempo the entire show. And in between acts, there's no space. 
So it's not like the person fades out, applause, all of a sudden there's some break music and then the next person comes on. It never stops. And so like when Kyle Kinch is done, um, I can't remember the guy's name who performs as totally enormous extinct dinosaurs. He comes out and there's no break. And then Lee Foss comes out. There's no break. And then even the handoff between Lee Foss and Gorgon City, there was, and there was applause as they're doing it. You know, and you can see them on stage visually doing it, but it's the same the whole time. And I honestly believe it's the same tempo all night. I would have to like confirm, I'll have to read up on like how this typically works, but it was basically the same tempo the entire night. So I guess everybody's MIDI controller is hooked into Ableton the same way or something. I don't know how did they do this, but um, it was interesting and. If nothing else, these events are really cool to go to just for a hang, you know, just to go with friends and, and check it out. So, like, even if you're not into a lot of the techno and EDM that's happening, it's actually a really good time just to go hang out. And it's um, it's right in the middle of industrial Bushwick. So, you actually, it's kind of shocking that you're even where you are. But I guess it does make sense. If you're going to have this huge event, where else would you do it? You know, because a lot of the pushback is very residential. But that was a cool experience. I will definitely be back at Brooklyn Mirage. I couldn't go to Flying Lotus at the end of August. We were on vacation in Spain and Italy. And some of these shows went by the wayside. It's okay. So then the next night, and this was a Saturday night, was the Nick Murphy show at Brooklyn Steel, which I already talked about. The day after that which was a Sunday, I went to Railroad Earth, me and Allie did, at Central Park Summer Stage. And this was a free concert, part of the Summer Stage series. And it was uh, actually a kids show. So they encouraged parents to bring their kids. And there was all kinds of like Disney giveaways and all that. What's remarkable about this is this was the second night in a row of seeing a former bass player of a Chris Dreyer band playing because Andrew Altman, who was the bass player in Whiskey Richard, previously Nectar, at Florida State with us, and even when we moved to Nashville in 2006, he's the bass player for Railroad Earth. And so this was two nights in a row seeing a bass player that we've played with play like a big stage in New York City, which was pretty wild. Railroad Earth is... I don't know if it's semi-famous or famous is the right word, jam band. Like, they're the real deal. I mean, they've played shows at Red Rocks. I mean, they're playing Two Nights at Bowery Ballroom coming up. They've played, I've seen them play Brooklyn Bowl three nights in a row, like that kind of thing. Like, they're a big deal. They tour all over. I actually just saw Drew a couple days ago. But um, that was a cool show to see. Jam, jam, bluegrass. I, it's not my favorite recorded music, but I, I actually love seeing them play live. It's actually pretty fun. We had dinner with them afterwards. Kumo Sushi on the Upper West Side. Shouts out. We used to live on the Upper West Side. That was one of my spots. So then, a little bit of a break. And then we get into some pretty big, big deal, big ticket shows here. So, the end of July, the 25th and 26th. Saw John Mayer at Madison Square Garden. I think the last time I saw John Mayer live was with Ali 
at Barclays Center in 2013. That was the tour after, you know, Born and Raised and Paradise Valley came out. In the encore, he brought out Katy Perry because they were dating at the time. And on Paradise Valley, there's a song called Who You Love. They performed together. That was the last time we saw them. And then... 2016 or 17, I guess 17, I think he played Madison Square Garden, behind the album The Search for Everything, and I did not see that. However, this time, we saw him. That was on a Thursday and Friday. Ali and I went to the one on Thursday. Loved it. One of the most notable things was that he, no openers on this tour, so he's playing two sets. I think because he's famous enough and he has the credibility from the dead now i think now he's kind of like it's probably inspired by the dead because they need two sets and he has a gigantic fan base he sold out both these nights they sold out the seats behind the stage which they don't always do at Madison square garden so there was eighteen thousand people both nights and uh the first night the first set ended with he started playing um Edge of Desire, which is one of my favorite tracks of his off of um, Battle Studies. And at the end, I was actually, I was recording that song on my phone. At the end, they segued into Deal by the Grateful Dead, the cover, which was amazing. And what's really cool about it was that the Grateful Dead, you know, Dead and Company, yeah, they bring the vibe, but musically, the drumming is a little, a little rough. And you kind of have to suspend disbelief when you listen to them live. So what was cool is that Mayer's band, everybody in the band's amazing. And so they're playing Deal, and he, these background singers, like the vocals are amazing, the drums are amazing. Like everything was so damn good. That was a huge highlight. That was really awesome. So great show all around. The next night, I came home from work, and I'm like, you know what? I've got to go back. I go... I, I love the guy. I love seeing him perform. My favorite guitar player by far. I've been a huge fan for, what, 18 years now. And just one of my favorite artists to see. So I went back. I bought a seat on StubHub. I was behind the stage, but it was actually great. I was actually real close, and they had the sound was fine. And the special thing on the second night was that during the set break, he comes on the, on the screen he has this little Instagram TV show called Current Mood, which is kind of like a joke, and it's kind of this funny fake talk show he does. And so on tour occasionally, during the set break, he'll pop in with Current Mood. And he starts talking about the set list on there, and he says, oh, you know, in the first set, you may notice there were no songs from Continuum. Well, the second set, he's like, we're going to play Continuum from start to finish, which is great. I saw him a couple times on the Continuum tour, so I wasn't like, oh my god, this is... It wasn't blowing my mind. It, w- it was fine. I was glad to see it. It was notable. He actually just did that again in Los Angeles. He did two nights at the Forum. And the second night, second set, they did all of Continuum. So that was great. Glad to be there. I got a bunch of video from that. And yeah, over the course of two nights, I mean, it was just some amazing playing. I... So good. I think he's at his prime. I think he's very like 
I think where he's at in his career, he's just at a very enviable position. You know, he's just did two nights at Madison Square Garden, and then he's doing two more in October, um, end of October, because uh, Dead & Company. So, pretty awesome. A couple weeks after that, I saw one of my favorite bands, who I've seen a million times, who I've had less enthusiasm for the past couple years, just because they haven't made a great record in a while, but My Morning Jacket was in town a Friday night. They did a show at the Capitol theater and the show was for the 20th anniversary of their record, the Tennessee fire, which came out in 99. I last minute was like, you know what? I think I have to be there. And at like six fifty, I think it was, I bought a ticket. The Capitol theater released some floor seats at the last minute. I think I got the last ticket they had. And I had to buy it and jump in the car because the Capitol Theater is in Port Chester. It takes about 50 minutes in traffic to get there. A lot of these venues in New York, aren't, it's not like that, they're not that far away. It's just that driving in traffic just takes time. So that's my first time at the Capitol Theater up in Port Chester. Cool venue. Cool little town. Easy to get to. Um, that show, it wasn't as if I'm the biggest fan of the Tennessee Fire. I just wanted to see, I just really kind of needed to hear them and really wanted to be in, in that crowd. And man, am I glad I went. There were times, they were playing tunes in the record that I don't even really give a shit about. Like um, the song, It's About Twilight Now, was one of the most badass things I've seen in just so long. They were crushing every song. It was so awesome. And so they played the whole record, which took a, a while. Um, and then the encores were B-sides or singles they released around the same time. And so back then, they'd recorded a cover of Rocket Man by Elton John. So they played that. They played Tyrone, which is an Erica Badu cover, which was awesome. And then they played um, Tonight I Want to Celebrate With You, I think is the song they did. Yeah, so that was that was a great show. Really glad I went to that. And the next night, um, me and Allie went and saw them play at Forest Hills. And this was the My Morning Jacket we all know and love. My Morning Jacket, I fell in love with, I think in 2004. Chris and I were in Tallahassee. I was in his car. And... They had an EP they put out called Acoustic Sitswaka. Sitswaka is the word acoustic backwards. And it had five songs from this Halloween show they'd done somewhere in Massachusetts. And it was live, and it's this acoustic thing, and it really just blew my mind. It was the first time I'd heard um, Bermuda Highway, which is one of their classics, Jim James, like the solo acoustic thing. But it had the, the first two songs were The Bear and Sooner. And Sooner is so haunting. It's like literally one of my favorite recordings ever by anyone, even now. I love it so much. So I fell in love with that. And then I sort of, you know, worked backwards from there. So like It Still Moves was like the 
buzzy album they had released in 2003. I think it was 2004. And then in 2005, Z came out. Z was really their breakthrough. I think the first time I saw them live, though, I had to check, was Bonnaroo 2006. Me and Allie went to that. I was living in Nashville. Allie came down from New York. And then my buddy Sean, we went to Bonnaroo. They played the Midnight set on, I guess it must have been Friday. Maybe it was Friday or Saturday. But uh, maybe I want to say Friday night. They played the Midnight set and they played four hours. It was, and it was life altering. Don Dante from that night was maybe one of the best things I've ever seen live. That may have been their best show ever live. That show was just nuts. So later that year, because I was in Nashville, we came back from doing a bunch of shows and went and saw them at the Ryman. My morning jacket's from Kentucky, from Louisville. So it was actually kind of a, um, you know, regional thing for them to come down to Nashville. The first night, sorry, the first song they played at the Ryman was a song, uh, Nashville to Kentucky, which I think is from um, whatever the second record is. At Dawn is the name of that record. Sorry. So from there, moved to New York and... Start going to shows. 2008, I think I saw them at um, Radio City Music Hall during the Evil Urges tour. And then 08, New Year's, I think it was, they played Madison Square Garden. They played, you know, which is something like bands like Fish and the Black Crows had done. But they played Madison Square Garden. Allie and I went to that. In 2011, they played Madison Square Garden with uh, Band of Horses. That was a huge show. In 2010, they played Terminal 5 for an entire week, and every night they played one of their records. So the Tennessee Fire thing, they had done that. But, you know, time moves quick, man. It's 2019. It's almost 10 years later now. They're doing the 20th anniversary of that. Um, And as the years go, those 20th anniversaries will keep coming. So that may have that 2011 show, Madison Square Garden, that may have been like the last big show I saw them do. And then they played a bunch of shows for the next, you know, couple records. I think we saw them open up for Tom Petty at um, Izod Center a number of years ago. But since then, they released a record in 2011, Circuital, and then they released a couple years ago this record, The Waterfall which was not a great record. So they had like this extended period of time where they didn't release anything. And then they released a record. A lot of people were lukewarm about in that same period of time, Jim James had released maybe three or four solo record project things. And they weren't that great. They were fine. One of them was pretty good. The one that had the song A-E-I-O-U on it. I can't remember what the record was called. But uh, I saw him at Music Hall of Williamsburg do that. That was a great show. Um, but anyways, it's this weird relationship with the band where you feel like you've seen them a million times. You feel like you've seen them at their peak. 
And then you kind of wonder if they're on the downslide or they're losing relevancy or something, or maybe you're just getting tired of them. So it was with that energy that I went to these shows and maybe because I haven't seen them in a while, but man, it really did it for me. And like the, at Forest Hills, the, the, the crowd was just with them the entire time going nuts. It was so cool. I got some great video. If you go to my Instagram, one of our music on my IGTV, I posted, um, foam went West from there, which was the end of the set, which was just like <clears throat> transcendent on Facebook. I actually posted, um, they did steam engine into foam went West, but combined it's like 25 minutes. It was so damn good. So that was important. That was cool. And then I guess a couple weeks later, right before the, our vacation, last minute, like as per usual, Tame Impala played two nights at Madison Square Garden. I went the second night, and I got a great sort of um, lower bowl seat. It was, you know, just a face value ticket that they released like a couple hours before the show. So I was actually pretty close to the stage. Great sight line. Got some great video of this also on my Instagram and Facebook. I posted these videos. Tame Paula is a band I only recently started really caring about. I had some friends who, you know, like you see on social media, I had a friend who was at Primavera Sound in Barcelona. And the pictures that came back from that show of their production, I didn't realize that Tame Paula was like that scale of a band. Also, there was a bunch of um, footage from Coachella, and they have a kind of like this fervent fan base. And I, I didn't get it at first because I guess I didn't spend too much time with their records. So when we would go to the beach this summer and we'd be in the car for 45 minutes or an hour, I threw on Currents, their 2015 record, a bunch of times. And I really got into them. So I was interested in seeing them live and they are really, really good live. They have a great production they have great like visuals and all that. They also have a bunch of tunes that you probably know from like car commercials and different things. Uh, more than you think. You'll recognize more than you think of their music. They were really, really cool. So I will definitely, next time they're in town, go. And especially if you can see them at like a festival. I think they're probably a great festival band, like at night with just like all the um just the energy and like the lights and the visuals and stuff i think it's like really really cool at this point that was the 22nd the 24th we left for spain for six days went to barcelona for four went to valencia for two and then flew to italy where we did two days in rome two days in florence two days in venice two days in milan no music i did look Actually, Billie Eilish, she was in Milan when we were in Barcelona, and she was in Barcelona when we were in Milan. So that was somebody we potentially could have seen if the timing had lined up differently. Seems like there's a lot of stuff that comes through Barcelona. In Italy, there's not a lot of places that where you can go see big pop artists, but Milan is one of them. Milan is kind of like a New York City. It's like a smaller, not as good 
kind of garden variety European city version of a place like New York City. It's fine. The trip was amazing, but uh, Milan was not a highlight. However, that is kind of the, the place where this stuff happens. When we came back on September 11th, we saw Yacht Rock Review at Brooklyn Bowl, one of our favorite cover reviews. We love rock, Yacht Rock. That was a really cool show. So now we are up to date. Those are the shows we have seen since we have last spoken. A lot of great music. It's been a great summer. It's been a great year. I'm looking at the list right now of shows I've seen, and it's a gigantic list, and there's still more to come. So, great year so far. So now for shows that are coming up in the near future. Not going to go too deep, but I will give you an overview of what I have that I think might be good. Andrew Bird is doing a couple shows this week, tonight and tomorrow night. It's at Kings and Brooklyn Steel. That's somebody who I've loved for a long time. Haven't seen live maybe since 2014, so definitely worth checking out. Black Pumas are playing Brooklyn Bowl on the 20th. They've been playing a bunch of shows around here. They're kind of a buzzy band right now. Lana Del Rey is on the 21st at Jones Beach. That's one I'm going to try to look at maybe seeing. Uh, Lizzo is doing two nights at Radio City Music Hall. That's the 22nd and 24th. Those, are, I think, are sold out. She's kind of on fire right now. So if you can get into that, that's probably going to be a fun show. Cat Power, who I love, is playing the 22nd at Webster Hall. A show I can definitely see myself at is Strand of Oaks. It's going to be a Brooklyn Bowl on the 26th. And then Built to Spill is doing a four-night run. They're doing two nights at Webster and then two nights at Music Hall Williamsburg. They're doing that for uh, Keep It Like a Secret, I think, is the, the tour they're doing. That behind. Maggie Rogers in October 1st and 2nd is doing two nights at Radio City. She as well has been on fire. She had a record earlier this year. Which I enjoyed. 10-5. The Avert Brothers are going to be at Barclays. The last time I saw them was, I think, early 2014 at um, Barclays. Seth Pompin and I. We stood next to Judd Apatow and Greg Matola at that show. Interesting. Wilco is doing three nights in town. Two at Brooklyn Steel and one at uh, Radio City. That's in October coming up. An important show for me is on October 13th. I'm seeing Explosions in the Sky at Knockdown Center. This is kind of a 20th anniversary tour for them. I've never been to Knockdown Center. I've talked about it in the past. So I am looking forward to doing that. Big Thief, which have a great record... UFOF and actually have another record coming out this year. They're doing Brooklyn Steel and then two nights at Webster. That's October 9, 10, and 11. Chance the Rapper is playing Madison Square Garden. That's on October 8th. Casey Musgraves, who we love and who we saw at the Beacon. She did two nights at the Beacon in January. 
She's doing two nights at Radio City in the middle of October, the 15th and 16th. There's those Charlie XCX shows I talked about. And then we have Jenny Lewis coming back. We saw her open up for Death Cat for Cutie at Forest Hills. She's playing King Theater on the 24th. Trey Anastasio of Fish is playing solo shows, two at Carnegie Hall. That's October 29th and 30th. Then there's those Dead and Company shows. And maybe that's all we'll talk about for now. God willing, there'll be a podcast. Let's hope every week, but within the next couple weeks where we can actually dive deeper into some of this stuff. Before the week, we got those Andrew Bird shows, that Lana Del Rey show, the two Lizzo shows coming up. Should be fun. Anyways, that's it for now. I'm glad to finally be catching up and getting this stuff off my plate so we can have more focused episodes as we go on. Summer is over. No traveling on the horizon for the moment. So we're getting towards the end of the year, man. It is mid-September. We only have three months left. Pretty soon we'll be talking about who's playing New Year's. And we already know the Strokes are playing Barclays Center. But there will be New Year's shows everywhere. Everybody's waiting for Fish to announce. But they're going to they're gonna be at Madison Square Garden. I guess we'll find out. Anyways, that's it for now. Talk soon. <laughs>